This podcast is intended as general information only and is not to be relied upon as legal, financial, or professional advice. A professional advisor should be consulted regarding your specific situation. It is also not an offer to sell or purchase Edgepoint investment funds. Hello, everyone. My name is Juan Gomez, partner at Edgepoint. Today, we're talking with portfolio manager Frank Mullen, avid cyclist and the reigning office push-up champion. I appreciate you spending time with us since you've had such a busy April. You just hosted a fixed income webinar with fellow portfolio manager Derek Skomorowski, along with analysts Tracy Chen and Stephen Lowe. For those listening today who didn't have a chance to attend, can you give a quick summary of what was discussed? Thanks, Juan. Excited to be here today. Well, we covered a lot in an hour, but we mostly discussed how we believe that the fixed income environment could be changing and why what has worked over the last 30 years really has limited chances of success going forward. And we think it's important that you make sure your fixed income portfolios are not positioned by looking in the rearview mirror. And you need to make sure they can take advantage of the opportunities that we believe are bound to arise in this new environment. What's most important is that the index is positioned horribly if rates continue to rise. And we wanna make sure our clients understand that this is a time period where active management really could shine. Thanks, Frank. I know it's tough to give such a quick summary of a 60-minute discussion, but I know the listeners uh, appreciate it. Now let's talk about your commentary. You started off by comparing two very important jobs, pilots and portfolio managers. Can you explain why you think they're so similar? Yeah, it's funny. It started when a pilot friend of mine laughed at a common description of his job. He told me that he likes to think of his job as being hours and hours of boredom, punctuated by moments of sheer terror. And I found it interesting that a pilot's success can be determined by their reaction to those brief moments of fear, regardless of how long they've successfully flown without any prior mishaps. And when I was reading Morgan Housel's book that I'd recommend everyone read, The Psychology of Money, he likens an investor's success to that of a pilot, and where an investor's reaction during periods of so-called terror can be very influential on their long-term performance and their ability to compound their capital. It really just comes down to, does the terror of declining asset values cause you to sell and wait for those clearer skies? Or does it prompt you to reevaluate your thesis, take advantage of the now discounted prices? Both responses are understandable, but far too often I think the average investor sells, locks in a loss, before they truly evaluate the investment's future prospects. It's something that I've witnessed countless times over and over again. The natural human reaction to fear overwhelms your ability to reason, and that really can lead to undesirable consequences for your portfolio. So if you've seen it so often, then why do so many investors have a hard time managing their emotions? It's really human nature. It's hard to fight how we are hardwired to do certain actions. When prices of everyday items fall, consumers generally rush to buy more. When you think about it, how many people feel uncomfortable when they see a sales sign on a new shirt or a bicycle they are hoping to buy? That usually does the opposite. It gets us excited. When that shiny new bike was $1,000 last week and is now only $900, it's simply a better deal to all of us. And we all love a great deal. But why does it apply to investments? Why do we head for the exits instead of the cash register when an investment declines in price? And I believe it's because most investors don't truly know the value of what they own. They know that saving $100 on a bike is good value, but they're not sure if watching a stock or a bond fall in price is a better deal or another mistake. And really, the only way to distinguish between the two is understanding what you own and having a skill set at valuing it. And that's something that I get excited to do every day, but it remains difficult for the average end client to do so. Really, untangling the value of a business is much harder than a bike, but I think it's also much more important. When it comes down to it, nothing is more uncomfortable than watching an investment's price fall if you don't have a sense for its value. 
Think back to the once deafening roar of Bitcoin's bulls. Sure sounds more like a whisper after its price declined significantly from its peak in the fall. And you could say the same thing about unprofitable tech companies that had an insatiable bid until the price started correcting recently and gapped downwards. Both are examples of investors fleeing an asset when its price declined because those assets were very difficult to value fundamentally. In the past, I've heard investment team members talk about operating in a narrow emotional band. Could you provide more details about one of the tools that helps the team do that? Yeah, it really starts with having a grounded investment approach. And we have the edge point investment approach. And ours is basically centered on valuing a business. You see, the price of that business changes daily, but its value doesn't. It's similar to the bike in our example before. The price may have come down by $100, but it's still the same bike with the same attributes. Intraday ticks in the stock or bond market don't change the value of a company's assets or its ability to generate free cash. A real opportunity arises when emotions drive price declines that aren't matched by a change in the fundamentals of that same business. Distinguishing between that price and value is arguably the most important part of our job. Some investors really understand this concept when valuing equities, but then when it turns to fixed income, they lose sight of it. They think about duration, rate hikes, quantitative tightening, and it confuses even the most seasoned investors. But I think it's important you return to first principles to help you distinguish the signal from the noise. Sorry, I'm going to have to ask you to backtrack for a second. It's easier for me to understand how that works when it comes to buying a stock, but can you explain how it applies to fixed income? Yeah, great question. When, you come, when it comes down to it, a bond is simply a loan whose value is derived by the borrower's ability to pay you back. A pretty simple concept. Most of our bonds are issued by companies. So really, we come to work every day to determine if that company has a high probability to pay us back and if the bond's yield, which is our return, is high enough to compensate for that risk. If we lend money to a company, our primary focus is ensuring they pay us back. Many things can change during the time of our investment, but if we buy a bond with a 5% coupon and the company pays us back at maturity, we'll earn 5%. The original contract we entered ensures this. Now, over time, while we own that bond, the price could change daily, but it's crucial to remember that if our credit work was correct and we get paid at maturity, the return of that investment will be 5%. Investors are best served to remind themselves of this when they're bombarded with comments regarding rate hikes and tightening and different moves by the Fed or the Bank of Canada. These factors affect the price of your investment, but the return won't change if the credit work proves true and you hold it until maturity. Thanks for explaining that to me, Frank. I know it's basic for you, but I appreciate the refresher. So with that in mind, can you provide some context with the current state of the fixed income market? So in the past, we've warned that we thought bond investors were becoming too complacent. You see, falling interest rates lulled them into a sense of complacency where returns on their fixed income portfolios were assumed that they were going to always be strong year after year. That trend has reversed and done so jarringly in the recent past. It's really shocked some investors. The loss and the psychological wake-up call have focused the spotlight on the fixed income portions of people's portfolio at a very crucial time in my mind. Now, do investors run for the exits because the safety part of their portfolio has declined? Or do they recognize that now is a time to focus? and to ensure that their position take advantage of the volatility that we now see. Because yields on investment grade and high yield bonds are up materially this year. That actually gets us excited. And I can hear people asking, but wait, don't higher yields mean lower prices? How on earth can a portfolio manager be cheerleading a negative return? Well, in reality, we get excited because we haven't locked in that negative return. The bond's price has simply fallen. As long as we get our money back and nothing has changed, our fundamental view of the business and the underlying bond, we're actually better off. 
Now, the reason is that coupons and maturity payments now can be reinvested at a much more attractive level. And I know that watching the value of a bond portfolio go down can be unpleasant, but the discomfort comes with superior investment prospects. Now, <clears throat> this concept is not intuitive. So let me walk through a couple scenarios. Using our global growth and in income portfolio, which today has a 3.6% yield and a duration of just over two years. In the first scenario, assume there's no change in yields over the five-year period. In that case, your $100 investment would grow to just under 120, growing at that 3.6% rate per annum. Now, scenario two assumes an immediate increase in yields to 5.6% on day one. That's a 200 basis point increase, something that most fixed income investors would fear. Well, on day one, that leads to a decline of just over 4% in value. That decline is driven by our duration. But again, assuming a $100 investment means that uh, your $100 drops to about 96. Most people aren't investing with a one-day time horizon. In the long run, your ability to reinvest coupon payments at a discount and take those maturities that come due at more attractive yields results in a superior return. Your $100 investment is now going to be worth 126 five years later. That's a 4.7% annual return, far superior than the 3.6 you were expecting. Now, I know it doesn't feel good to buy a bond and see it fall in price. They're supposed to be safe, but you should actually welcome the decline because you're improving your long-term investment return prospects. The ability to reinvest is dictated by your duration, and our low duration helps compound annual growth rate increase by over 110 basis points. So by knowing who you're loaning your money to, you can feel confident reinvesting those coupon payments. So how are our portfolios set up to maximize these opportunities? It's a great question, because not every fixing and portfolio is set up in a position of strength. Our strength stems from the fact that we have a relatively low duration across all of our portfolios. It gives us the ability to play a stronger defense, and offense during a period of rising rates. A relatively low duration helps to insulate the mark-to-market performance of our portfolio, and the frequent principal payments and maturity payments allow us to invest in a more attractive environment. We positioned our portfolio purposely to be able to take advantage of the environment that we are now in. Now, our portfolios have gone through several periods of volatility, and our investors are better off for it. While the drawdowns have been uncomfortable at certain periods to watch, they've increased our ability to generate superior returns. Let's look at an example using our Canadian growth and income portfolio. Since Edgepoint launched, there have been three significant periods of decline in the portfolio's fixed income portion holdings. December 2008, January 2016, and April of 2020. Even though they dropped at least 4.4% during those periods, they set the stage for pleasing returns. Investors who stayed committed for 10 years after the 08 drop earned over 7.6% a year in the fixed income portion part of their portfolio alone. Five years after the 2016 decline, investors earned 6.6% a year. And now it's too soon to tell what will happen after 2020, but we're very happy with what we've seen so far. These superior returns wouldn't have been attainable if we didn't have periods of volatility. While it wasn't pleasant at the time, the volatility enabled us to achieve our primary goal of compounding capital. And I know, again, I'll repeat it, seeing the value of your investment decline isn't fun. It's human nature to avoid pain, but everyone should remind themselves what true discomfort is, not having enough money for retirement. This long-term view should trump all other feelings, which should ease the short-term declines needed to avoid the worst case scenario. Then what should fixed income investors be looking for in their portfolio? They can center themselves during these periods by thinking about their portfolio the same way we do, and by revisiting its first principles. Ask yourself a few questions. Can you explain the decline? Was the decline of the result permanent loss of capital or is it a mark-to-market decline? 
Has the underlying thesis changed on the assets or the cash flow that it would affect the borrower's ability to pay you back? And most importantly, what's the investment approach? Is the portfolio structured and managed to take advantage of this volatility and come out stronger? These are the type of questions that you should ask, as some losses should in fact be scrutinized. Locking in a loss because you were surprised with a default, government expropriation, or simply faulty analysis is really hard to come for most portfolios. So dig through them and determine, is the loss permanent or an opportunity? The fixed income portfolios at Edgepoint include the Edgepoint Global Growth and Income, the Canadian Growth and Income, the Variable Income, and Monthly Income Portfolio. And we believe each one is well positioned to take advantage of this type of market environment. They all have a low duration that's well below their benchmark, and it allows us to redeploy capital into a more attractive environment. This is a key differentiator of our portfolios, and it was done purposefully. A portfolio with index-like duration of eight years will not be able to capitalize to the same degree. They simply don't have the benefit of reinvesting chunky principal payments into the new environment, and a larger portion of their portfolio will generally not mature for many, many years. All of our portfolios have short-dated maturities that we can reinvest to your benefit in more compelling opportunities. Thanks so much, Frank. I really appreciate these insights during such a busy time. Do you have any final thoughts for our listeners? Yeah, you see, this year we've seen yields on both investment-grade bonds and high-yield bonds increase materially. That will benefit our future returns. Our high-yield allocation started the year at an all-time low and has begun to increase slowly to take advantage of the opportunities in both the primary and secondary markets. None of our portfolios have suffered a permanent loss, and we're excited about the opportunities that are now coming across our desk. The first quarter of 2022 has surprised many investors out there. Rates have risen much faster than anyone anticipated and caused declines in a lot of fixed income portfolios. We believe that our portfolios are well positioned to capitalize on the shock that many are feeling. There's a lot of people out there that will see declines in fixed income portfolios and allow their fear of loss to force them to sell their holdings. We want to buy from those people. Our portfolios are structured and managed in a way that we can buy from those succumbing to their fear. The long-term return prospects are better than they were at the beginning of the year, and I encourage you to look through the holdings of your fixed income portfolio. What do you see? Do you see bond holdings issued by businesses you understand? Can you envision a proprietary insight? Do you see mark-to-market declines or permanent impairment? I think you'll find confident in a collection of solid businesses, an understandable investment approach, and a portfolio that is well-positioned to capitalize in today's volatility. We think they have the potential to soar into the future. I'll remind everyone that the Edgepoint Variable Income Portfolio is only available via prospectus exemption to qualified investors. Please see the Edgepoint Variable Income Portfolio's offering memorandum for additional details. Information presented is believed to be factual and up-to-date, but we do not guarantee its accuracy, and it should not be regarded as a complete analysis of the subjects discussed. This is not an endorsement or recommendation of any security. Edgepoint Investment Group may be buying or selling positions in securities mentioned. No endorsement of any third parties or their advice, opinions, information, products, or services is expressly given or implied by Edgepoint Investment Group. This podcast contains certain statements that may be deemed forward-looking, Please note that any such statements are not guarantees of any future performance results, and the actual results or market developments may differ materially from these statements. The whole or any parts of this podcast may not be reproduced, copied, transmitted, or disclosed to third parties without the consent of Edgepoint Investment Group.